You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. This year, 2020, has presented never-before-seen challenges to the mission of the church. Uh, Regardless of our opinion on the challenges, the challenges themselves are very, very real. We have faced things we never expected to face, and we have had to make plans that we never expected to make. We've had to make adjustments we never expected to make. We've had to adapt in ways we never expected to have to adapt. And when those kinds of things happen, it's very easy to lose focus, isn't it? When when the world kind of goes crazy, uh, we can shift into survival mode, and sometimes maybe we feel like we're just just trying to keep our head above water, and things are not quite what we're used to, and really they're very far from what we're used to, and we just... If we can just make it through this and, you know, slap a band-aid on it and, and maybe things will be back to normal later and we'll be okay and let's just, let's just, just try, to, try to stay alive and, and get back to where we were, get back on track and then we'll focus on our mission. The thing is, if we allow challenges and hindrances and adversity to keep us from faithfully attending to our mission... then we've lost our way. We've lost our purpose. And for some churches this year, that's been a death sentence. We have uh, worked hard with our lay leadership and our staff leadership and as a church to remind each other all year long that we're not just trying to band-aid this bad boy until things get better. We want to come out stronger on the other side and engage in mission with excellence all the way through. This morning, I want us to spend some time re-articulating those principles and values of our mission. Uh, We've spent months working through the Gospel of Mark, looking Jesus in the face. Uh, And I thought while we're kind of in between series, it would be a good time just to kind of get back to the basics. reboot the mission, and talk about what it is that Christ has called us to do, focus on the Great Commission, and prepare ourselves for the rest of this year, (laughs) it's not over yet, and next year as well. When the mission faces challenges, it's easy to lose sight. We don't want to lose sight, And so we need to be constantly reminding ourselves that new challenges to the mission require fresh focus on the mission. Every day, friends, we face challenges. Some are more, stronger, bigger, greater than others. But every moment when new challenges to the mission occur, we need to fresh focus on our mission. And one of the best places to turn for that is the Great Commission. Now there's a logic to the Great Commission Uh, that Jesus integrates into the words He says. He has been crucified at this point. He's been raised from the dead. Uh, He has been seen by some of the women. And the, and the, the messengers, the angelic messengers, have said to go and get the other disciples and He's going to meet you. So they've come to Galilee. They've come to meet Jesus. And they're 
they are worshiping him. Some still have questions. You can, no surprise there. If you met the resurrected Jesus a few days after he'd been crucified, you would probably have some doubts and questions too. So maybe we can identify with the ones who doubted a little bit. Uh, but we're told that they worshiped him, some doubted. Jesus comes to them and he says these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We'll get into how that happens in just a minute. But for now, what we need to do is see the logic of the Great Commission. There's that one word right in the middle that tells us the logic, how this works. You've got, you've got a premise and you've got a conclusion. If this situation is true, here is the result. Here is the consequence. And that word right in the middle probably already figured it out. Therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go. Sometimes we strip, skip straight to the go without thinking about the therefore. But if you go to go without stopping at therefore, you lose the basis for the go to keep that straight. Jesus doesn't say, go make disciples. He says, therefore, go make disciples. And one of the rules of good biblical interpretation, you should know this one by now, whenever you see the word therefore, you look to see what it's, somebody said it, one more time. Therefore, yeah, so what's it there? That's a little cheesy, right? But, you know, it's a good, it helps the memory. So what's it there for? What is it? What's the thing he says before? It's this all authority that Jesus is declaring that with his resurrection, he has been entrusted with all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a way of saying like, there's no square inch in all the cosmos, as one theologian said, over which the Lord Jesus Christ does not declare in love, this belongs to me. This is mine. All authority is His. And this is really about the realization of the kingdom of heaven, isn't it? The kingdom of God. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, He prayed, taught His disciples to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not in heaven as it is in heaven. We kind of act that way sometimes, like it'll be alright when we get to heaven. But Jesus says, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, the rule of heaven, the reality of heaven, the glory of heaven, the beauty of heaven, Jesus' prayer is that His people, by the grace of God, will bring all of that to bear on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here in this mess of a year we got going on as it is in heaven. Right, so this all authority in heaven and on earth is the realization of that. Jesus is the Messiah. The kingdom has been launched. It hasn't been completed yet. It hasn't been fulfilled. It hasn't been consummated is the word they use in the textbooks. But it has been inaugurated. It has been launched. It is starting out. And Jesus is the king of, this is his declaration, this is the public recognition that he is the Messiah. He's the king. All authority has been given to Jesus. And if all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, that means nothing is off limits for him and his people. So what does he say to the disciples? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go to all the nations. When we read the book of Acts, we see they, they start with their neighbors. Then they get a little further. You know, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. They just, it's just, it just keeps going. 
The mission to the nations is grounded in the fact that Jesus is king of all the nations. So there are no closed borders. Like I know people, I have friends who are operating in secret in countries that are not friendly to Christian missionaries. And the reason they go there and the reason we send them there is because there are no closed countries to Jesus. They all belong to Him whether they like it or not. Let's just get that in our minds, in our hearts, and our spirits. Right? North Korea belongs to Jesus whether they like it or not. China belongs to Jesus whether they like it or not. The world belongs to Jesus like it or not. And he's called his people to infiltrate every corner of the globe and teach obedience. The basis of that, we must not lose sight of that. Missions is not just, hey, this is a fun activity. Hey, here's a nifty program. Hey, here's something to do. It might be fun. We can, you know, go do some work and feel good about ourselves. And, you know, we've done some nonprofit kinds of stuff. And it's a great experience for the kids. And, you know, there's this bigger picture. The Lord Jesus Christ is King of the world, and He is presently deploying His representatives to extend His reign to every corner of His kingdom. The reality of His reign. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, disciple the nations. Now, this is not the first time in the Bible that this idea of global authority has shown up. It's interesting, actually, we're in Matthew's Gospel, first book of the New Testament, so right here at the beginning of the New Testament, you have this portrait of Jesus as global king. But it's not the first time, and if you go to the beginning of the First Testament, the Old Testament, you get another human being who is also given global dominion, right? Adam and Eve are created in the image of God, and God says in verses one, chapter 1, verse 26, And following these words, God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have, what? Dominion. Now who knows what dominion means? It's not a word we use every day, right? You not kind of like go to work on Tuesday and say, Hey, have you had any dominion lately? Like that's not, maybe that refers to something else, I don't know. But but it's not a big part of our vocabulary, but it, it means kingship, it means authority, right? That root there, dominate typically has negative connotations in our world. But here, this is a positive thing. God has said, hey, Adam, Eve, and your children, I've made this world and I've filled it with lovely things and there's a garden right here and I want you to be in the garden. But I don't want you to stay in the garden. I want you to go, have dominion, have authority. I'm entrusting this to you. You are like the trustees of the world. I'm entrusting it to you. To care for it, to carry, I mean, I made you in my image, God says to them, so that you can carry my image beyond the boundaries of the garden everywhere else. And fill the earth with my glory, my beauty, my majesty, my holiness. This has been the plan from the start. At the beginning of the Bible, there is a vision of human beings who honor God and who have been entrusted with the world He has made. And this is an expression of God's generosity, isn't it? 
He's not stingy. He's not, you know, he's not the cosmic killjoy. He's not, you know, I've made you, but don't touch that and keep your hands off this and none of that for you. And you see those flowers over there? Don't get too close. There's a fence around them for a reason. We kind of act that way with our flowers sometimes, right? We don't want the kids tromping on the grass or something maybe. But, but, but God isn't like that, is He? Is this overwhelming generosity. I've made all of these things, all the cows, all the bugs, all the trees, all the plants, they're yours. Have fun. What a spectacular God. What a kind God. What a generous and benevolent God. And so God, from the start, created humankind in His image with a vocation to bear His royal, ruling, authoritative image in all the world. This is the goal. This, uh, throughout the history of the church, or for a long time in the history of the church, has been called the cultural mandate. Remember that one. It's one of those technical terms that actually might be useful sometimes. The cultural mandate. What does it mean? To have dominion, it means the people of God take the gifts that God has given them and they go out and they use the gifts God has given them to spread His reign and His rule. So maybe you're gifted agriculturally. One of the ways that the dominion that God has entrusted to you is by taking some land and allow and having it produce fruit, right? So people can eat. Maybe you're gifted artistically. One of the ways that the dominion is expressed is in the creation of whatever sort of art you may create, whether it's music or poetry or literature or whatever, or painting. I mean, I've met some spectacular people in the church who do just lovely things. Sometimes you buy their things at auctions in the fall. I mean, this is just... Spectacular. And that is a way of, of, of bringing God's beauty into the world. Like here's, a, here's this, this creation, and it's beautiful, and that is an embodiment of the beauty of the Creator. And in the more the church does that, the more we make music to the glory of God, and create art to the glory of God, and bring the land into producing fruit, and create systems and governments and civilizations that honor God, The earth is filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what the prophets want. See, you see how big this, like this, we read this and we go, yeah, made in the image of God, it's great. But we don't always stop to think about the global implications of what is said on page one. Right? This is about who runs the world. This is about whether, and here's a, here's a crucial thing, friends. I don't listen to the radio very much, but every now and then I hear about the things that are on the radio. Um, sometimes parents will come and say, I found out what my kid was listening to on Spotify, and like, whoa, right? Because some of it is disgusting and misogynistic and is just re, like, not forming us and our families, but deforming us and our families. Because everything we do either forms or deforms us. Right? So, so there is a battle there, right? The airwaves will either be filled with crass, deformative art, or not even art, but some perversion of art, or the church and the people of God have got to create culture and civilization and beautiful things 
to go to war against those other things. And they have to be compelling enough that people go, you know what? I'd rather see the beauty than the nastiness. And they have to be beautiful enough that the nastiness becomes very obviously not good. You see what's going on here? Like we think, ah, it's fine, it's just a song, whatever. But it's not just fine, whatever. All of this, someone is always, right? Sometimes when we talk about our culture as a whole, civilization as a whole, our, our society as a whole, we talk about, um, you hear the phrase, let's don't legislate morality. And whenever I hear that, I want to go, every piece of legislation is someone's morality. All of them. <laughs> right? Find, show me a piece of legislation, and I'll show you the legislator's morality. Right? All of them are. So the question is, are we writing legislation that honors Jesus, who has been given authority over heaven and earth. All of it. Right? So whether it comes to art, whether it comes to civics, whether it comes, like, whatever it is, every sphere of society, when Jesus says all authority on heaven and earth is mine, there's no square inch over which I don't declare this belongs to me, Jesus says. He means all of it. Like, name some stuff. Art, design, music, civics, law, church, school, all of it. The question is, is Jesus honored here? And it's your job to make sure He is. That means the church doesn't get to be a holy huddle, does it? No holy huddles. Missionally engaged people. It's been very easy this year to kind of like, alright, this is crazy and let's just... You know, I mean, there's a quarantine. They want you to huddle up and bunker down and like just stay at home. And the church has got to find ways in this setting to go out and refocus, reboot, reclaim the mission. We don't hunker down here. <laughs> Churches never hunker. We always engage. Always. So this idea that God wants His people, not even an idea, this vocation, this ministry that God wants His people engaged in extending the goodness of His glorious authority. right? And His authority is good. His authority is beautiful. And the more His authority is realized in this world, the better this world will be. The more people say, I love Jesus and want to honor Him with my life, like the better it all gets. Okay, That idea starts in Genesis and runs all the way through the end of the Bible, and it is inescapable. You cannot miss it if you have your eyes open. It's all the way there. New challenges to the mission require fresh focus on the mission, and part of that focus is understanding that page after page after page after page after page after page of the Bible, is about God filling this world with His glory. And you are the people, we are the people He has called to that vocation. So whatever you're doing, right? You're working on cars, you're working on HVACs, you're working on 
budgets, you're working on spreadsheets, you're working on whatever it is, right? Raising kids, writing songs, crunching numbers, taking out the trash. There is no square inch in the cosmos over which the Lord Jesus does not say, this belongs to me. All of life is about this vocation of bringing the rule of heaven to bear in the world that God has made. What I want you to see is that the cultural mandate, the, the dominion command, and it's not just a command in Genesis, it's a blessing. God blessed them and said, have dominion. It's fulfilled in the Great Commission. Adam threw it away and Jesus took it back. He is the second Adam. He is the one who embodies the, the thing that the human race has been called to from the first. So that's the logic of the Great Commission, right? All authority has been given to Jesus, therefore, go make disciples. That is the human vocation from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament. We've talked about the logic of the Great Commission, refocused on that. Let's talk about the content of it. You get four kind of action statements in the commission. A lot of times we think that first word, go, is the main verb, but it's not actually. The main verb, the action word, the here's what you must do commandment, and it is a commandment, it is an imperative, it's not an invitation, is make disciples. Make disciples, like disciples, and disciples are learners, right? Anytime you're teaching your kids the Bible, like reading them a Bible story, or saying, hey, here's how you pray, or here's an answer to that weird question, or, you know, or, or you're teaching a Sunday school, or you're at work, and you're embodying the character of Jesus in a way that commends the gospel to your coworker. Like, all of those things are part of this big picture making disciples things. Disciples are followers of Jesus, Followers of Jesus make more followers of Jesus. That's just what he wants. So make disciples is the main idea. It's the main verb. It's the main imperative. And then you get three more verb kind of action ideas that, that help you say, like, here's what that looks like. Step one, step two, step three. And the first one is go. Because you can't make disciples on your couch. Like we got I, I, In the last few months, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, this whole church online at home thing is great. <laughs> it will never be as great as church in the sanctuary. Like church on the sofa will never be as amazing as the gathered people of God. It will never be as powerful and it will never be as grace-filled, life-changing. Like if you are vulnerable, if you're more susceptible, I know there are a lot of people who are very vulnerable because they have multiple health issues going in with COVID-19. I'm so grateful we have the technology to be able to stay in touch in this very difficult season. Uh, I'm grateful we have the technology to make connections with people we wouldn't have connected before. But friends, I, I'm grateful for the tools, but, the, but like watching church on TV is no substitute for gathering with the people of God and the body of Christ coming together to worship the triune God. No substitute. Like It is a substitute in limited, cap, cap, limited situations. Like this is a kind of emergency situation. 
It's good outreach. But you will not be formed in the image of Christ over the long term if that's all we do. It's not going to happen. So we have to go. We can't just sit at home. We can't just stay in here. (laughs) This is one reason uh, we have organized mission trips. It's one reason that we have... Uh, our mission team is engaged in in food ministries every quarter. It's one. It's you know, and we've got some new mission initiatives we're going to be telling you about very soon, uh, locally and globally. But but you can like we cannot sit still and obey Jesus. We cannot sit still and obey the Lord. He requires us to get up and move our bodies, to move our feet, and go find potential disciples. So you make disciples. You do that by going. Step one. And where do you go? Everywhere. Now, one church can't go everywhere, right? Like, we're, we're one congregation, and there are lots of countries. One time I Googled how many countries there are in the world. It will tell you if you punch it in. I don't remember the number offhand, but there's a lot. One church can't hit all of them. That's why we're grateful that some churches hit these few and will hit these couple and another church will hit a few more. And together, the body of Christ has a global network of mission focus, right? So, neighbors to the nations is how we talk about this. Locally we are at work, globally we at work. We cannot do everything, but we must do something. And so what do we do? You have... For years, send a group of folks out on a quarterly basis to make sure that some homeless folks in Montgomery are fed. We do that. Um, we are initiating a new relationship with First Choice Pregnancy Resource Center uh, in Montgomery. Naomi and I have had a chance to get to know uh, Bethany Garth, who is the director there. Um, it's been a joy. One of the ladies who's in the Monday morning Bible study is a volunteer there. And uh, you're going to get a chance to be more, uh, to know what they're up to. Um, because I'm just going to take a minute and say this. I, abortion is America's Holocaust. America's politically acceptable Holocaust. And the blood of tens of millions of children is on is on our nation. That reality has to be coupled with compassion for women who feel like they don't have options. Okay, hear what I'm saying. We can't just go around shouting and screaming. We we need to call out the injustice. Right? Scripture calls the people of God to be a people who work for justice. To give a voice to those who don't have a voice. And one of the, like, the people in this, the people groups in our society who don't have a voice are the ones whose vocal cords are still immersed in amniotic fluid. They don't have a voice. God wants us to be their voice. At the same time, it is absolutely crucial for the church to be a people in ministry and in compassion, weeping with and loving on women who find themselves in crisis pregnancies and don't feel like they have options. They should be able to turn to us without fear of judgment, without fear of condemnation, 
without people looking down their nose. It's not that way right now, by and large, if you ask women who've had abortions how they feel in church. Typically, it's very a judgmental kind of thing. One of the reasons I absolutely love what ministries like First Choice do is that, you know, it's all compassion. We will be here. We will care for you. We will make sure that you have health care. We will make sure that your child has the vitamins they need. We will make sure that you get an ultrasound. We will make sure that there are people to love you. We will make sure that you have diapers. We will make sure that you have blankets. We will make sure that you get fed. We care about you in this moment of crisis. You can work on the laws all you want, but until you change hearts, you will not win this battle. And this battle is won when the people of God show up to answer phones for a few hours on Tuesday afternoon when women call saying, I need an ultrasound. I need help. And I would love for us to be the front lines of that ministry. Compassion is crucial. if we want to win hearts. So we are cultivating established relationships and we are creating new ones in COVID-19. Because we're not going to sit back and slap a band-aid on this bad boy and hope things get better. We are going to continue to engage. We are going to continue to engage. Making disciples involves going. Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So that first word is go. The second one is baptize. That is the launching of Christian communities. Like baptism is how you come into the church. When Jesus says, We want you to reach out to people who are not a part of this community, proclaim the gospel. Tell them about the love of Christ and bring them into the life of the church. Right? Bring them into the mission. Bring them into the fellowship. Right? And we're here because we know the value of that fellowship, don't we? Jesus says this is like you go find them and you bring them in through the waters of baptism. And then, here comes the long-term part. Teach them to obey Everything I've commanded you. Right? Not just this verse or that verse, all of the verses. Like it might be an interesting, uh, an interesting experiment. Just read through the Gospel of Matthew and write down all the commands. And then you have your marching orders. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, uh, commanded you, Jesus says. Like all of it. How many of us know all the commands of Jesus? How many of us know what he is calling for? How many of us know what he wants? This requires all of our whole being. He wants a people who are completely and utterly and thoroughly devoted and surrendered to his purposes, who love his commandments, who know that his commandments are life. And that life is contagious. Like when you and I love the commandments of Jesus, the people around us will come to love them too. 
Surely you've been around people who, like that, they just, they love the Lord, and that love is continued. You go, I want to lo- know Jesus that way. I want to love him that way. Great commission. This is the content. New challenges to the mission require fresh focus on the mission, friends. Four verses, we just we need to immerse ourselves in them daily, daily, daily. So what does it look like? What's our local strategy? Well, we have, for a couple of years now, uh, articulated our strategy in three words. Anybody want to shout them out for me? Worship, connect, and serve. And this is one of the places where COVID-19 hit us pretty hard, didn't it? Step one, if you want to be a follower of Jesus and be a part of his mission to fulfill the Great Commission, worship. From March 15th to the middle of July, me and the staff are the only people in this room on Sunday mornings. Like The global crisis hit step one of our mission. That's why we couldn't just hunker down and we couldn't just try to keep our heads above water. We had to find creative and effective ways to continue to bring the people of God, even if it's virtually as a substitute for a little bit, to worship. But I want you to see how the challenges we face this year have hit us on the first level of strategy. Like, this is a P. Like, if you want to grow in Christ's likeness, you have to worship Him. <laughs> you don't get to just not worship Jesus and still be His follower. Those are not, that, that's like, that go, that's, The definition of following Jesus is worshiping Him. That's what the disciples did. They show up and they worshiped Him. They still have questions, but they worship Him. So gathering on the Lord's Day to worship the resurrected Lord is crucial. And we have had to work to make sure that that continues. The second leg of our strategy is connect, and this is the small group ministry, right? Uh, Sunday schools, which are picking back up. Wednesday nights, which will at some point pick back up. But another, right, if you are just supposed to kind of stay with your family and not go meander around and mingle with people, it's kind of hard to do a small group. And so uh, one of the things that you're going to be hearing more about as this year progresses is discipleship bands. Now, I know Pastor Eric has already said, hey, let me tell you about band meetings. And you said, hey, I don't play any instruments. It's not that kind of band, okay? Band is the word from the 18th century that John Wesley used for the smallest groups of people who got together and looked after each other's souls. And it's not a Bible study, and it's not another like video series. It's, hey, let's get together and pray for each other, and let me ask you about your soul, and let me ask you about, like, is the Lord speaking to you right now? And are you like, are, is your heart grieving right now? And how can I pray for you in this moment? And how can we help you? And how can we care for you? A few of you are already doing this. And I need you, if it's a positive experience, to tell everyone how amazing it is. Because it's a new step. But imagine, right, and think about it this way. This is, this is, this is what one of the things I saw this year. Like, a lot of our small groups were focused more on education, information, than transformation. And that's not a bad thing. I like information. Right? Give me a book and I will read it. I, I like that sort of thing. If you've been in my study and you've seen the books, you know that, right? If you've been in a group with me, you've probably been given three books. And I know it's a joke and that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. 
This is not one of those kinds of things. There's a little reading and there's some, some things like that. And information's good and we want adult ed and we want you learning theology and catechisms and Bible and biblical theology. All that's important. But information alone is not enough. Transformation of our character into the holy character of Jesus is essential and crucial. This discipleship band, not musical band, discipleship band of three to five folks, guys with guys, girls with girls, getting together once a week or a couple times a month to say, how is it with your soul and how can I pray for you? If you do that for a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, you will be more like Jesus after that period of time than you can even begin to imagine right now. And you will be closer to Jesus than you can even begin to imagine right now. So if being close to Jesus sounds like something you want to do, Pastor Eric, give us a wave. Go after the service and give that guy your name. He's in charge of this and he is organizing these groups. Nobody has to teach anything. Nobody has to come up with a lesson. If you like technology, there's an app, actually. If you don't, there's a booklet. (laughs) It works for all of us. Whether you are in 8th grade or 80 years old, if you come together with a few other people who love you enough to love, you along, to love Jesus alongside of you, it will change your life. New strategies mean that we are refocusing on our mission when it is facing assault. It's been hard to gather to worship. It's been hard to gather to pray for each other. We are going to figure out how to make it happen. I promise. Worship, connect, serve. I've already told you some of the ways that you can serve. This is our mission. Inside the walls, outside the walls. We need folks greeting people at the doors and taking out the trash when it's over. We need folks going to serve at the friendship mission. We need folks answering the phones at first choice. If you answer the phones and do a really good job long enough and, and they get to where they can trust you, they may let you start counseling people. So just get ready for that. There are more and more ways. School supplies for kids in need, right? evangelistic opportunities. It's been very hard this year to maintain those kinds of things. We have to keep them in front of us, which is one reason we haven't just gone into a holding pattern this year, we've been forging new relationships with local ministries. The international stuff is particularly difficult right now, though we are continuing to support uh, and minister to and engage in ministry with our global missions partners. Uh, Casa Bernabe went in the budget this year. Uh, The church has adopted, missions committee uh, as an agent of the church has adopted a kid. at Casa Bernabe Orphanage in Guatemala. Many of you have been there uh, in the last couple of years. And uh, the Coppage family is going in the budget next year. We are going to continue cultivating global partnerships. And when the skies open up, we're going to go see them. And we're going to care for them. And we're going to make sure that we can, like, we can't go everywhere, but we can go two, three, four, five places. And we can cultivate the church around the world in those places. And some of you will go, and some of you will send people on their way, and some of you will pray for them, and some of you will pay their way to go. 
because it's all one big project for the whole church. What I want us to see, I want us to, like this, this reboot, refocus, zero in, is that we are not in a holding pattern. We are not in band-aid mode. We're not in survival mode. The Lord Jesus Christ has seen fit in His wisdom and in His sovereignty to allow us to come into one of the craziest years of many of our lives. And we will faithfully engage in the mission that He has entrusted to us in this time. We will not sit back. We will not sit still. We will engage. We will worship Him. We will connect for learning and formation. And we will serve locally and globally. Trusting that He will be with us. Because that's what He promises. New challenges require new focus, friends. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org slash sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.